Welcome to Everyday Wellness Podcast. I'm your host, nurse practitioner, Cynthia Thurlow. This podcast is designed to educate, empower, and inspire you to achieve your health and wellness goals. My goal and intent is to provide you with the best content and conversations from leaders in the health and wellness industry each week and impact over a million lives. Today, I connected with Dr. Amy Horniman, known as the Thyroid Fixer. We dove deep into talking about how she became so passionate about thyroid management, the role of traditional healthcare labs and how they can miss subtleties to thyroid dysfunction, the role of autoimmunity, molecular mimicry, the role of nutritional choices with thyroid management, several potential causes of weight loss resistance. We also touched on hormonal replacement therapy and how more often than not testosterone can be a missing link. If women are really struggling with weight loss resistance, specific problems with the women's health initiative study that we've talked about in prior podcasts. And I asked her lots of questions about iodine, low dose naltrexone therapy and berberine as it pertains to thyroid and blood sugar dysregulation and management. I hope you will enjoy this podcast and find it as invaluable as I did. Welcome, Dr. Amy. I'm so excited we are connecting to talk about a shared mutual interest in thyroid and thyroid health. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. I love giving this information to any and all who want to learn. So what got you so passionate about the thyroid? Was it during your training or was it a family member or yourself or someone who was suffering from thyroid issues? Pain to purpose. You know how (laughs) most of us in this space, we've all gone through something that then piques our interest. And we say, Hey, wait a minute. If I suffered with this, other people are too. Right. So my story started many years ago. I was in my twenties and I was doing fitness modeling and competing. So, you know, you have to diet down and get really teeny tiny to get on stage. And by no means, I do not come from a skinny mini family either, by the way, I have diabetes in my family. We have obesity in my family and I'm five two. So I would always have to work my butt off to get that show ready shape that was necessary to compete, but no worries. I did it multiple times. This one particular show prep, I started gaining weight instead of losing. Now I'm not a calories in calories out kind of girl, but let's face it. Biologically, it didn't make sense that the scale was going up. Not if you looked at my diet of fish, chicken, broccoli, and asparagus, I was going to the gym twice a day. It just didn't make sense. So I did what we all do. I go to the doctor. I go to the doctor and I say, hey, this is what's going on. Actually, I started with my sister. So I blame her first because she's a doctor and she's a DO and (laughs) she doesn't know the thyroid. So I give her a break, but I like to blame her. And she said, "You're, you're normal. Everything's fine. And then she referred me to another one of her physicians and her practice. And they said I was fine. I went to endocrinologist. They all said you are air quote normal you're fine. Just eat less and exercise more. I was like, what the, how is that even going to be possible? It's not even possible. So I keep going. I keep going. I keep plugging away. Six doctors later, all misdiagnosed me. The seventh doctor touches my throat, says swallow. She goes up. You have a goiter on your thyroid. We're going to run some tests, do an ultrasound, but here's the pill. So I leave the doctor's office. I'm like, yes, there's a pill. Now I'm going to lose weight. Now I'm going to feel better. Yay. Five months later, nothing, not one single change. Now, looking back, I knew she gave me T4 only. 
was not performing all of the tests that we have to do to get that full picture of the thyroid. And I do some research, you know, I joke around, I think I had my big old gateway computer at the time. So I'm doing the Dr. Google thing that we all do. And I find this thing called T3 and this test called reverse T3. And I take this information to her and she goes, yeah, I don't do that. I go, well, I'm going to find somebody who does. And I kept hearing the name of this functional integrative practitioner. You know, you hear something three, four times. It's God, the universe, whatever you believe in telling you, just call this person and go. So I call him. He is now my mentor, changed my life, saved my life, totally changed the trajectory of my career, which is why I'm here now, and gave me my life back, did the right tests, the right supplements, the right nutrition, the right medication. And all of that mattered at the time in order to get my thyroid up and running again, in addition to testing everything else that goes along with thyroid dysfunction. So that's really how I came into this space. I knew, I mean, the hell that I went through. There had to be other women, especially going through this same hell. Well, what's interesting to me, and I say this as a traditionally trained allopathic provider, is that I saw women every single day in clinic or the hospital that were recounting the same situation. They didn't understand why they were gaining weight. They were on thyroid replacement, most of them Synthroid, which for anyone that's listening, That's a synthetic version of T4. If you can't convert inactive to active thyroid hormone from T4 to T3, your body can't use it. And so this is where I think the traditional allopathic model really misses the opportunity to understand that it's more than just providing T4, because there are people who do fine on Synthroid or the generic alternative, but there are most who do not. And we have to really be looking at our patients as individuals. And I really commend you for not embracing or, you know, kind of going along with the current status quo of you're over a certain age. And I'm not even sure what age this happened. I know you're still very young, but whatever age this was occurring that you have very unsympathetic healthcare professionals who are like, so what you gain five or 10 pounds, that's not a big deal. I mean, look at my other patient population. They're all morbidly obese. Mm -hmm. Why should you be concerned about this? And yet I think weight loss resistance to me is a sign of an imbalance somewhere that we need to determine. And it may not be abundantly clear right away. And so you were alluding to the right test. So when you're talking with your patients about baseline labs, what are some of the tests that you commonly want done that the traditional providers are not doing? And I think this is a really good way to start our conversation today because this question comes up so frequently. I always say you need a full thyroid panel and people are like, what is that? Exactly. Because if you go into your doctor and you say, can you give me a full thyroid panel? And you're not specific with what you want on that panel, you'll get TSH. And maybe if you're lucky, you'll get free T4. Mm -hmm. So that to them is a full quote unquote thyroid panel. But what I like to see, we have to go deeper. So, okay. Yes, we know TSH free T4. Fine, fine, fine. T4 is inactive. Yeah. I like to take a look at it. Sure. I want to see what your pituitary is doing by testing that TSH. Then we have to go deeper. T3 is the active thyroid hormone that we need to know how much free unbound T3 active thyroid hormone is in your body, because that's, what's getting into the cell. That's, what's giving you a metabolism and growing your hair and allowing you to go to the bathroom every day and making you feel good and giving you energy to get through your day. We need to know what that free T3 level is. That is imperative. Then we also want to know what your reverse T3 is. Now we'll dive into a little bit more about what reverse T3 is, 
But in a nutshell, it's the anti-thyroid hormone. Free T3 is the gas, reverse T3 breaks. So we want to know both of those numbers. And then I want to know how many antibodies you have. If you have Hashimoto's, TPO, thyroid peroxidase, and TG antibody, thyroglobulin antibody. We want both of those two. It's amazing, Cynthia, how many doctors think you only have one? Ant- We're just going to test one antibody and call it a day. No, let's test two of them. Let's test them both because there are two to see if this person has Hashimoto's or not, to see if it's an autoimmune condition, to see if we have to pay attention to the destruction of the thyroid gland. And then how much we have to really kind of crack the whip on going gluten-free because if there are Hashimoto antibodies, then we have to help that person along to be gluten-free because of molecular mimicry, which we can get into as well. Well, I think it's really important for everyone to understand that you can have an autoimmune thyroid issue and have negative antibodies. And I say this with love because I was one of those people. I've been gluten-free for over 10 years and I reversed another autoimmune condition. And if you have one, you're more prone to more than one. And so I had psoriasis after being treated for Lyme, very common, cleared that with going gluten-free, developed hypothyroidism in my early forties. And I never will forget my doctor saying to me, congratulations, you don't have Hashimoto's. And I was like, oh, I'm one of those odd, very small percentage of people that has you know, uh, non-autoimmune hypothyroidism. Well, I've come to find out that actually isn't correct. Right. My antibodies are probably negative because I don't eat gluten. So if you're out there and you have hypothyroidism, you can assume you have Hashimoto's until proven otherwise. And that is the bulk of people that have an underactive thyroid. So I just wanted to shove that in there because I, for many years was like, this is awesome. I don't have Hashimoto's. Yeah, I do. I actually do. It's in remission. Yep. But nonetheless, super important. So when we're talking about reverse T3, because this is a really poorly understood lab, it's an easy one to draw. It is covered by your insurance. It is not a weird integrative medicine test. Let's talk a little bit about this. So maybe for the benefit of listeners who maybe are not as familiarized with these terms of T4 and T3, you know, most of our thyroid hormone is in the form of T4. A very small percentage of it is in T3. T3 is the gas tank. That is what actually is the active thyroid hormone. And so the role of reverse T3 is? Yeah, so let's break this down. The role of reverse T3, we want reverse T3 because if you go into the hospital, you're in a car accident, your appendix just burst, whatever traumatic state that your body is in, and you land in the ER, you land in the ICU, That reverse T3 is going up because it's going to protect you. It is built into our bodies to slow down all of those systems that don't really have to be operating when you need to survive. When your body is in survival mode, you don't need to burn fat. You don't need to grow your hair. You don't need to feel good. So that reverse T3 will go up in order to shut those other systems down so that everything that your body needs to heal and survive is there for you. It's great. But here's the thing. We don't want reverse T3 high when you're running around all day, taking the kids to school and going to the grocery store and running a business and being a mom and being a wife and being an entrepreneur and going to work. No, that's the last time we want you with a high reverse T3. So it absolutely needs to be tested. And I love using analogies so your listeners can understand. Here's another one to think of. Even if you are taking thyroid hormone replacement therapy, And hopefully you are not on T4 only because like Cynthia said earlier, and I 100% agree T4 to T3 conversion 
doesn't always happen on its own without a little bit of T3 in the mix, right? So we have to check all of those things that can come into play and hinder T4 to T3 conversion and raise reverse T3. And the list is long. So most of us don't convert. So we want to make sure that even if you are on thyroid medication, you're converting that. And even if you are on something that contains T3, we want to make sure it's getting into the cell. Reverse T3 is like a bouncer at the club sitting outside your cell door. Now think about this. Every cell in your body has a receptor site on it for T3, the active thyroid hormone. Every cell, your brain, your heart, every single cell. So if reverse T3 is high, it's like the bouncer with his arms crossed outside the club going, yeah, T3, uh, you're not getting in and you're not getting in either. So it's literally blocking T3 from getting to its receptor site that it so desperately wants. So even if we're testing your free T3, to see how much of that active thyroid hormone is in your body, it can look really pretty on paper. If we don't know your reverse T3, your doctor could easily say, well, look, hey, your TSH is good. Free T4 is good. Free T3 is good. You're good. And you're like, wait a minute. No, I'm gaining weight. I'm tired all the time. Uh, My hair is falling out. If no one tests that reverse T3, you could literally be walking around in survival mode and all of that T3 in your system cannot get into the cell to do its job. What are the most common reasons that you see clinically for individuals that are struggling with high reverse T3? I have a couple that I've seen in clinical practice. I mean, I think with our increasingly metabolically inflexible population, insulin resistance plays a huge role, but what are some of the other more common things that you are seeing in clinical practice? I totally agree with you. Insulin resistance is number one. Number one, I had one patient, I have to tell you about her reverse T3, young girl too, young. Reverse T3 was so high. It was actually flagged high. So of course we have functional optimal ranges. And then we have that standard lab value range that you see on your labs. Her reverse T3 was actually flagged high at a 35 or 37. Her insulin was a 57. I have never seen an insulin level that high. That was absolutely why her reverse T3 was elevated 100%. Now we also see estrogen dominance as a reason, low iron, anemia, low ferritin, low magnesium, low iodine, just a low nutrient status. There are genetic SNPs that can interfere with T4 to T3 conversion. So the list is long. And that's why I get so confused and so irritated when patients will come to me. And just like you said earlier, Cynthia, this is not a a wackadoodle new age functional test that we're asking for. This is a standard test that should be part of every thyroid panel. And I have so many patients come to me saying, well, I asked my doctor and they said, it's only useful in clinical purposes. Meaning if you're lying, trying to survive in the ICU or the ER, yeah, of course we want to test it that. But again, like I said, I want to know what is your reverse T3 when you're walking around? Do you find yourself struggling to get a good night's sleep? If so, you may be dealing with a hidden mineral deficiency. It is not at all uncommon in perimenopause and menopause to deal with sleep 
challenges. And we know that one of many contributory reasons for poor sleep can be a reduction in specific minerals that help regulate sleep quality, including magnesium, which is involved in GABA, which is our body's main calming neurotransmitter. We also know that we need potassium to create melatonin. And this is a hormone that is a master antioxidant, but is also utilized to help induce sleep. We also think about things like zinc, which can balance excitatory neurotransmitters like glutamate. And if it's overactive, meaning if your glutamate levels are too high, it can prevent your brain from becoming more relaxed and inducing sleep. And lastly, selenium increases both our deep sleep and sleep duration. All these minerals matter a lot for sleep and any imbalances or deficits can have a major impact on the quality of sleep you get each night. And that's why I love Beam Minerals. They offer a full spectrum mineral supplement that gives you every essential mineral your body needs in the right doses, all in a highly absorbable liquid form. All you do is take a shot of beam minerals about an hour before bed. Don't worry, it tastes like water and you'll replenish all of your body's minerals in about 30 seconds and give your brain what it needs for deep restorative sleep. I've been using this product over the last several months. I've really been impressed with the improvement in my sleep metrics, which I like to share on social media with my followers. And if you want a simple way to improve your sleep, head over to www.bminerals.com and use code Cynthia for 20% off your first order. That's www.bminerals.com and use code Cynthia for 20% off your first order. Mighty Maca is a superfood drink mix full of 30 plus natural ingredients, and it was formulated by Dr. Anna Kabeca during her healing journey. Mighty Maca Plus ingredients, which include nourishing ingredients like organic maca powder, turmeric, quercetin, broccoli, parsley, trans resveratrol, pomegranate extract, and more, were carefully selected for immune support to sustain energy, provide mental clarity, and improve recovery. It also tastes delicious. It supports healthy detoxification and alkalinity in the body, balances hormones, fights free radicals, and neutralizes lactic acid, all while increasing your energy and vitality. It helps improve your digestion and reignites your libido. It's a powerful superfood drink mix that needs to be part of your daily routine. And Dr. Anna is offering my listeners 10% off your first purchase by using the link DrAnna.com slash Cynthia. That's 10% off your first per that's 10% off your first purchase by using the link DrAnna.com slash Cynthia. It's delicious and nutritious. No, and it makes complete sense. And on a lot of levels, I've seen it high with stress. I mean, how many people over the past two years haven't had more stress than they normally are dealing with? I also see it in that very type A woman who thinks if a little bit of exercise is good, too much exercise is better. Just like fasting. If a little bit of fasting is good, too much fasting is better. And so that particular personality, the people that want to do Orange Theory Fitness five days a week with no recovery, and they restrict their carbs, and they're really, really, they measure everything. They're just, they're very controlling in terms of how they look at their kind of lifestyle choices. And I always say, I applaud you for being so diligent. However... Mm-hmm. That amount of stress and over exercising 
and what is creating inflammation and oxidative stress is not helping your body. So if you're listening to this and you fall into one of those buckets, there's no judgment, but we have to be kind to ourselves. If the last two years have taught us nothing, we need to be kind to ourselves. We need to, you know, get out in nature more. We need to do a little less exercise. I'm all for exercise, but let's be smart with our time. Right. Now I want to make sure that we pivot just a little bit to talk about a term that we've already identified molecular mimicry. Mm -hmm. And the reason why I mentioned this is I am asked, I have a monthly group every month. I have someone that asks a question about this because they really want to be told that it's okay to eat gluten if they have an autoimmune issue with their thyroid. And so I kind of talked around the physiology and talked about dairy and talked about gluten, but let's talk about what these actually do to our thyroid, how they impact leaky gut, how they can exacerbate our autoimmune disorder Mm -hmm. when we continue to eat these foods, which maybe if you don't have an autoimmune issue are probably potentially okay. I just say potentially because it's oftentimes what's done to gluten, what's done to grains that creates a lot of these health issues. But I would love for you to get your insights on what this is doing in the body so that someone else can explain it to my community and do it in a way that makes it a little more tangible. Right. Okay. So another analogy coming at you here. I always talk about any autoimmune condition, but we'll focus on Hashimoto's today. Any autoimmune condition, you have a group of soldiers in your body. So those are the antibodies. Those are that TPO and TGA antibody that I want you to have tested. That's going to tell us how many soldiers you have that are they're just confused. They think your thyroid gland's an invader. They think it's a bad guy. So these soldiers go out and they attack your thyroid because they think, ooh, bad guy, we need to attack. We need to start a war. Now, when you go gluten-free, those soldiers, like you experience and I experience the same thing, those soldiers can go down to zero, which is where we want them. We don't want you to have soldiers in your body. You might always have that genetic predisposition for autoimmune, but we ultimately want to get those soldiers down to zero so they're not going out. When you are gluten-free, that is what allows those antibodies to continue dropping down. Now, gluten. This is fascinating, actually, when you think about it. Gluten has a molecular structure very similar to your thyroid gland. So when you consume gluten and you have Hashimoto's, your soldiers are prime for attack. They see that gluten coming in. They're like, guys, it's war. We got to go out. We got to attack this. So they go out and they start destroying that gluten molecule that very much looks like the thyroid gland. And then they move over to your thyroid gland and destroy it more. Now, if you're sitting there saying, well, wait, I don't have a thyroid gland. I had a total thyroidectomy. I had radioactive iodine. Okay. They're going to go somewhere else. They're going to move to your joints and you're going to get RA. They're going to move to your gut. You're going to get Crohn's, maybe celiac. You don't want that. You want your soldiers contained in their barracks and you want them to basically go down to zero. So the other thing that occurs whenever we expose ourselves to gluten, you're building your army. So now those 10 soldiers might go to 100, might go to 1,000. Now you have more destruction, more destruction happening to your thyroid. As your thyroid gland is destroyed, it's not going to work very well. So just like when you're sick, and you have to stay home from work, you're not doing much work that day. You're laying in your bed, right? A beat up thyroid gland is not going to produce thyroid hormones that you need to feel good, to lose fat, to have your brain function. It's not going to work very well. So we don't want it beat up 
on a daily basis. You wouldn't like that. If somebody came to your house and beat you up, we don't want your thyroid gland beat up on a daily basis. That's why it's so, so important. And I think if you can picture that analogy, and if you can think about it that way, that we have scientific proof that a gluten or gliadin protein molecule looks like the thyroid gland. And you think about that every time you eat gluten, every time you go, well, you know what? A little bit won't hurt. Well, my friend Susie next door, she eats gluten all the time. She doesn't have any problems. If you think about you and your particular autoimmune condition, if you have Hashimoto's and you're eating gluten, you are slowly or you are quickly destroying your thyroid gland every single time. So that should give you a little motivation to go gluten-free. Why do you think this is so poorly understood? Why do you think there aren't more of us talking to our patients about this? That's a really good question. I want to say because, and I've said this forever, I think the gluten-free diet, whenever it came out, kind of had its heyday, maybe, I don't know, seven, 10 years ago, it got a, maybe even longer, but it got a bad rap because people would implement gluten-free quote unquote, but they would go out and buy everything in the grocery store labeled gluten-free. So they go, okay, well, I'm going to replace my cereal with gluten-free cereal, my bread with gluten-free bread and my pasta with gluten-free pasta, my cookies with gluten-free cookies. And they're still taking in high amounts of carbs and sugar and inflammatory ingredients that are still, as you mentioned earlier, destroying your gut, producing leaky gut, So kind of going to the gut, let me sidestep there. We used to, and I'm sure you've had guests on talking about this, but I'll talk about it as well. We used to think that the gut from your mouth to your bum was a totally enclosed system, tile and grout, tile and grout, totally enclosed. Now we know that that grout isn't so solid. It's kind of like a little swinging door. So when we eat things that like pesticides, uh, gluten, high inflammatory foods that can open the door. And these, we call them in the functional world, LPS, lipopolysaccharides, they can get into the bloodstream and cause inflammation. Now that doesn't mean that they're going to get in your bloodstream and you're going to have a sore knee or a tennis elbow. It can create this full body inflammation, meaning it can inflame your thyroid. It can shut down production of thyroid hormone or it can cause a migraine, or it can cause you to gain weight. It can cause a multitude of symptoms, but we know that these particular food groups cause that. So when people years ago went gluten-free, they all said, well, I don't feel any better. I didn't lose weight. My inflammation didn't go down. Well, it's because you you weren't replacing it with real whole food. You were replacing it with the gluten-free manufactured version which still jacked your insulin up, which still created inflammation, which still caused leaky gut. So you didn't even get the benefits of a true whole food, real food, gluten-free diet. And that's where I think it kind of got almost like brushed aside as like, oh, that's another one of those new age fads that are coming out. It's the next diet thing. Well, no, it's not. We have scientific proof. And if you do it the right way, you can actually experience the benefits that should have been experienced years ago when it first came out. But nobody really told people, listen, you don't just want to, don't just go to the grocery store and purchase everything labeled gluten-free. That's not what you want to do. No one guided anybody back then, but now we know. So I think our job as practitioners is to talk about it more, is to educate the population 
so that they can understand the why. And I think when you understand the why, when you know why you're doing something, when you know why you're giving up something that maybe is really hard to do, it sticks more. You have that motivation. You have that reason. You have that carrot dangling like, okay, I'm going to feel better and I'm going to lose weight. And that's why I'm doing what I'm doing. That's why I'm eliminating gluten. Well, I think it's a really good point and certainly a very important one so that as we are transitioning to a more nutrient-dense diet, that we are conscientious about the food choices we're making. And I'm always very transparent. And I tell everyone, I don't buy gluten-free bread. I don't buy gluten-free cookies. I don't buy any of that stuff because- I am the type of person that if I eat one, I'll eat several. And I just, you know, I do better having a piece of dark chocolate because then my brain goes, okay, we're satisfied. We move away, but flour, you know, gluten-free flour, regular flour, et cetera. It is still like mainstreaming cocaine because Mm -hmm. it gets instantaneously into your bloodstream. It lights up our brains. We get this dopamine surge. We feel good. And so one of the challenges I always have, and I'm sure you probably do as well, is that when I encourage people to go lower carb, they're like, oh, I can have the almond flour this and the almond flour that. Well, yes, that's lower carb. However, we're still not getting away from these highly processed flours. And so, you know, part of the challenge in our world where whether it's keto, whether it's low carb, whether it's paleo, primal, et cetera, it's all this highly processed, hyper palatable food. And I don't care how you label it. I was just at a keto event with a bunch of wonderful individuals. And one of the sponsors who will remain nameless, my husband was with me and he was trying some of their products and I'm dairy free. So a lot of what they had was not a good choice for me. Mm -hmm. And I happened to flip over one of the packages of stuff that they had. And one of the sweeteners was sucralose. And as an example, here we are artificial sugars. But if someone's coming from eating like ho-hos and ding-dongs and, you know, uh, Twinkies, this is healthier, but those artificial sugars, we know they disrupt the gut microbiome. You were just talking about that. And so I think it's just this building awareness of, okay, if you really want bread, you shouldn't be doing it often. And you really should try to find something that's less processed or make it from home or make zoodles instead of pasta. I mean, just find healthier options. I mean, we're both realists, but I think it's the hard truth is you just need to eat less processed food. That's really the best way to support not just your thyroid, but your physiology is in general. And most, if not all women that are listening to this podcast are North of 35. And all of a sudden our carbohydrate intake has to change. It doesn't mean no carbs. It just means you can eat endless amounts of pasta and rice and bread and think that you're going to maintain metabolic flexibility. And this is a great segue into talking about weight loss resistance. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the hormones we've touched on like insulin and leptin and thyroid hormone, And obviously as someone that used to do bodybuilding, I can imagine that, you know, when you got into this position where all of a sudden you were gaining weight, not losing weight, you know, knowing that you had a methodology that was working effectively when we're looking at women North of 35 perimenopause menopause, this is a huge problem and it's a source of frustration. And I'm endlessly supportive and loving in my approach because I know how frustrating can be even more so for people who've never struggled with their weight. They're like, what am I doing wrong? That's how I came to intermittent fasting because I was like, something is not working. I need to try a different strategy. So when we're talking about weight loss resistance, when you're working with your patients, what are some of the things you're thinking about that they might be doing that are making this harder for them to lose weight? So if we start with, if we start at the top with the master gland thyroid, we have to optimize that first downstream from that, like you mentioned is insulin 99% of hypothyroid Hashimoto patients have insulin resistance. So that has to be addressed. 
It has to be. And I always talk about the it's not fair syndrome because we go through this. Even if you are north of 35 or you were just diagnosed with a thyroid condition, you go through this it's not fair stage. Like I mentioned, Susie, your neighbor earlier, you look at Susie and you go, wait a minute, why can she eat her gluten-free bread and her fruit all day long and throw in some whey protein. And, you know, why can she eat that way? But I can't, well, it's called insulin resistance and a thyroid problem. So that's the double whammy to weight loss resistance, thyroid problem, insulin resistance. The triple whammy is low testosterone with that testosterone. I call it the GSD hormone, get stuff done hormone. (laughs) You need it to get stuff done. Motivation, sex drive, fat burning, muscle building, brain function. And again, that is a test. It's a lab value that is lost in conventional medicine because there definitely is an optimal range. And as women, we get stuck into this standard lab value range that is huge, wide, vast. And if you fall in the lower part, but you're still in that range and you're not flagged and that lab value isn't red and you don't have an H or an L next to it, you are forgotten. You are dismissed. You're told you're normal. Everything is fine. So in conventional medicine, you could have a testosterone of a three as a woman and still be called normal because the cutoff is two. Do you know how you're going to feel? with a testosterone level of a three, you're not going to burn fat at all. Weight loss resistance out the wazoo. Low testosterone actually triggers Hashimoto's. So that is one of many things that can flip that autoimmune switch for Hashimoto's. So any kind of stressor like pregnancy, perimenopause, hormonal changes, low testosterone will flip on that Hashimoto switch. So now you're entering that triple whammy zone of weight loss resistance with low testosterone as well. Optimal in my book, over 50. So again, and this is total, there's total and free testosterone that we can check on you. But when you're looking at the total, I want that number over 50. And again, you could be called normal if you come in at a three, at a five, at a 10. That's not normal. That's not enough testosterone. And it's often, testosterone is also kind of, almost villainized with women because you do have the bodybuilding circuit that's abusing it. So when you tell an average soccer mom, 45 year old woman, Hey, your testosterone's in the tank. We need to do some bioidentical hormone replacement. She goes, well, I don't want to look like a dude. You have no testosterone. That person over there that's abusing it has male levels of testosterone. Let's find a happy medium for you. So you can get stuff done. So you can feel like a badass rock star, like you're meant to feel. Testosterone is that third component whenever we're talking about weight loss resistance. I love that you brought it up because not only is it not talked about a lot, and I did a great podcast talking about testosterone replacement therapy with Dr. Karen Dunstan last year, Mm -hmm. because for many, many women, it is the missing link. And unfortunately there are, it's a controlled substance. So obviously you have to have it prescribed. I find most women do better on creams than they do on injectables, but obviously it's different and unique for each woman. You know, my own practitioner was saying, I don't like to use injectables, even if it's subcutaneous all that often, because it can be a little less predictable. And he said, sometimes women will have these overt, insane libido drives, which maybe their partner's happy, but they get to a point where they're like, 
I understand what it must be like to be a younger person because all I'm doing is thinking about this one activity and I can't get work done. But for those of us that have experienced low testosterone, I can tell you, you feel unmotivated. You uh, struggle to put muscle mass on even muscle definition. Your libido goes in the toilet. You know, I hear from a lot of women and I've experienced this myself until it was replaced. And I remember thinking it was like a whole different world. And it's not just the superficiality of saying it's muscles, the organ of longevity, it's obviously critically important. Our libidos are important. Our motivation is important, but it's also understanding that the brain physiology, it is not just testosterone. It's not just estrogen. It's not just progesterone that our bodies need the testosterone signaling in our brains with our bones, with our muscles. And we sometimes lose sight of this. And I, I think the women's health initiative that it came out in 2002 has really done us a disservice us as women obviously your mother's generation, my mother's generation really suffered through this. And we can see a lot of the side effects that have come out of that, but our generation is demanding better care. And I always say, I'm hopeful that my nieces, I have three of them, that they are going to get better care because we are advocating for all women, but it is completely unacceptable for women to suffer when what they really need to consider with the right practitioner is replacement, whether it's with thyroid hormone whether it's treating the insulin resistance, whether it's addressing the thyroid, excuse me, the, the testosterone needs, estrogen, progesterone, et cetera. All of us, it's not a stew. We all have to have different ingredients because each one of us are bioindividuals, but no woman should have to suffer in middle age. And that's something that has become abundantly apparent to me, having the opportunity, as I'm sure you have, and talking to different women. I have women in their early 60s who are smart and they have suffered for years with brain fog and poor sleep and forget about their libido. You know, I just interviewed Dr. Tabitha yesterday, and we were talking about some of the changes that go on in the vagina and the vulva and, you know, throughout the body. And she was saying, do you know how many women I see who haven't had sex in 10 years? Maybe their partner passed away. Maybe they lost interest and they've gotten to a point where they no longer can have sex comfortably. And I always say like, we need to be you know, intervening years and years and years before this happens so that women can make the best decisions for them and they can find the right provider that's going to be able to support their needs in a way that aligns with their own wants and needs. Absolutely. And I'm glad you brought up the Women's Health Initiative study because I still have even young women, even our generation and younger are still, and I use this term very lovingly and very loosely, brainwashed from what they're, because it really, it comes back to their doctor, their doctor who educated them that hormones are bad because we have this study that shows that it causes cancer. Their doctors are stuck in outdated information and not even so much outdated, but we have to look at what happened in the women's health initiative study. They use synthetic hormones. They did not screen and remove sick women or pre-existing conditions. They didn't do any of that. I mean, we could dive in for an hour on just the women's health initiative study on its own, but I'm still finding women that are being told misinformation, if I can use that term, misinformation by their PCP, by their general practitioner or by their OBGYN. And it's the doctor's responsibility to kind of come into 2022, to get educated, to stay educated, to stay updated. And it's the very, very similar going back to the thyroid. I will still hear practitioners say, well, your TSH is suppressed. So we need to drop your thyroid medication. Meanwhile, these women are 
still suffering. They're like, wait a minute, I don't feel well still. I still haven't lost weight. I still have this brain fog and you're going to drop my thyroid medication. And again, it's these doctors that are focused on TSH alone because that is what they learned. I actually gave a talk to a group of integrative wellness practitioners that even though they're integrative, even though they're functional, even though they have that term, ladies, you have to make sure that they specialize in thyroid and hormones. So I gave a talk to this group of docs that wanted to learn more about the thyroid. And I said, why are we still in the Synthroid box? Why are we still in the low TSH is scary and it's going to break your bones and cause a heart attack box? We have the studies to show that that's not true anymore. Let's move out of that. We have more than Synthroid. If your patient had depression, you would put them on five different antidepressants plus an antipsychotic and Xanax but you won't do anything other than Synthroid? Why is that? The one doc raises his hand goes, that's all we've learned. Like, well, I mean, thanks for being honest, but my God, get out of the box so you can treat people. So you can actually help people feel better because that's what our job is. Mm -hmm. So we have to stay updated on the latest research, on the latest information and not be scared based and not have a fear that's based in misinformation or outdated information. Have you guys heard about a bioactive whole food on the market with 5,000 published research studies backing it? When my oldest son needed to go on antibiotics a few months ago, I discovered Armor Colostrum and the benefits for him and his recovery from being on antibiotics have been instrumental in me now recommending this to my dairy non-sensitive patients and clients. Armor's Colostrum strengthens immunity, ignites metabolism, fortifies gut health, promotes hair growth and skin radiance, and powers fitness performance and recovery. My son has mentioned to me over and over again how great his gut feels, how he has improved his digestion and gut function as well. Colostrum is a rich, exclusive source of immunoglobulins or antibodies that optimize our immune defense even during cold and flu season. And we know that mucosal barriers house over 80% of our body's immune cells, including including the antibodies IgG and SIG-A. And these immunoglobulins bind and intercept harmful particles like viruses, bacteria, and toxins, blocking them from crossing into the barriers into our bloodstream. And Armrest Colostrum contains the highest levels of SIG-A and IgG to ensure your most fortified first line of protection. It's sustainably sourced, and it's important to know that you want to mix colostrum only with cold liquids or foods or dry scoop it into your mouth. This is also great for the oral microbiome. And we've worked out a special offer for my everyday wellness community where you can receive 15% off your first order. Go to tryarmra.com slash Cynthia15 or enter Cynthia15 to get 15% off your first order. That's T-R-Y-A-R-M-R-A.com slash Cynthia15. You definitely want to check it out. Today's podcast is sponsored by NutriSense. It combines cutting edge technology and human expertise so you can see how your body responds to different types of nutrition, stress, 
exercise, sleep, and where you are in your menstrual cycle in real time. And by pairing a continuous glucose monitor with their app and expert nutritional guidance, NutriSense can help you reach your health goals. And the best part is it's not just a program where they send you the CGM and you have to figure it out on your own. Each subscription plan includes one month of free expert nutritionist support. Your nutritionist will work with you one-on-one, interpreting your data, and providing customized advice to help you reach your health goals. The last time I had my CGM on, my registered dietitian and I troubleshooted over some specific concerns that I had. And whether you're aiming to lose weight, stabilize your energy, or just feel better overall, NutriSense offers the guidance and support you need. And lasting sustainable change takes time and can be achieved through a longer term subscription. That's why I encourage my patients and clients to consider three, six, or 12-month subscriptions where it's actually less expensive and allows you to not only achieve your goals, but also to ensure that you stick to your healthy lifestyle for the long term. As I've mentioned before, I have found the CGMs I have used through NutriSense to be incredibly insightful, specifically to carbohydrate tolerance. I would not have known that plantains spiked my blood sugar without this information. It's also been hugely helpful for tailoring to workouts and sleep quality. And so for me, even though I am metabolically healthy, I find the insights to be particularly helpful to tailor my lifestyle changes to my blood sugar. Visit NutriSense.io slash EWP and use the code EWP for $30 off plus one month of free nutritionist support. Be sure to let them know you're a listener of the Everyday Wellness Podcast when they ask you how you heard about them. This is one of my favorite ways to take care of my health and one of my top recommendations for all of my patients and clients. Well, I think it's the no better, do better. Like I tell everyone, I graduated from my nurse practitioner program in 2001 and the following year, the Women's Health Initiative came out. And I remember saying to my mom, oh my gosh, you need to get off. I think she was on Premarin. You need to stop Premarin and progesterone and this is bad. And I'm watching a whole generation in my family that are suffering needlessly. Like my one aunt, my dad's sister had her a hysterectomy done in her forties because she had heavy periods and that's what they offered her. Mm -hmm. And she said, no one ever talked to me about hormone replacement therapy. And now she's small bone like I am and osteoporotic. And my mom is osteoporotic and trying to talk to my mom. Like we can't now reverse everything. Like you've been without estrogen for 20 years. And so, you know, with the impact on brain and bone and heart health is significant, not to mention the, all the other symptoms. So I think it's important if you're listening to this podcast and you haven't listened to my podcast with Dr. Avram Blumming and Dr. Carol Tavares, I really encourage you to listen to it and their book, Why Estrogen Matters. I recommend it almost daily. Another great book is The XX Brain by Dr. Lisa Moscone. I hope to be interviewing her this year. It's been tough kind of working around her availability, but I do hope because I recommend her book quite a bit, but those books really shifted my perspective. And certainly when we talk about the women's health initiative and we talk about no better, do better, Mm -hmm. this is why it's so important for us to be having these conversations and why this is so invaluable. Now, there are some things that are controversial about thyroid. And when I say controversial, you know, you talk to a variety of different practitioners, whether they're integrative docs, whether they're nutritionists, whether they're NPs, whatever their title is, iodine appears to be fairly controversial. And I say this, you know, I have Brownstein's book, he's pro iodine. I've interviewed Dr. Alan Christensen, who is anti iodine. 
Let's talk about iodine. We know it's a trace mineral. It's used to create thyroid hormones, you know, T4 and T3. We don't just have it in our thyroid, which I found fascinating. You know, we find it in our breasts, you know, people have fibrocystic breasts. Oftentimes it's because they're low on iodine. We also find in the eyes and the gut and the cervix and saliva. So it's everywhere. But what is your position on iodine? Are you for checking iodine and replacing? Are you conservative? What are your thoughts? So let me start by saying I too have read Brownstein's book. I'm still working on getting him on my podcast. He's impossible to get in touch with. And I have interviewed Dr. Alan Christensen as well and read his book. So I see both sides of the story and really in the functional space, you're right, Cynthia, that is split down the middle, literally 50% of you know functional, integrative, out-of-the-box thinking practitioners will say, no, no, don't use iodine with Hashimoto patients. The other 50% will say, use it. I fall into the use it because if you really break it down and look at what iodine is and what it does, we were talking about reverse T3 earlier. One of the causes of elevated reverse T3 is low iodine. The thyroid needs iodine to convert that T4 over into T3. So it doesn't convert to reverse T3. So we need iodine. We do. We need it for our immune system. We need it for our breast health. You're absolutely right. Fibrocystic breast patients, they love iodine because it takes that away and they're much more comfortable. Dr. Brownstein has used it in some breast cancer patients as well. You can dive into his work and read up on that, but it's such an important trace element and it's in the periodic table it's amongst all of the other halides. So when we look at the halides that are toxic to our thyroid, we have fluoride, as in your fluoride toothpaste. Yeah, you want to cut that out. Chlorine and bromine, bromide. Iodine will actually bind to those toxic halides and excrete them and help to excrete them out of your body. So it's a wonderful protectant to the thyroid as well. Now, I think, again, why it got a bad rap is because there are some practitioners that were using massively high doses of iodine with their patients, massively high. And those patients went into either a thyroid storm where they went severely hyper or they dropped into a deeper hypo state. But again, if we can just find a happy medium, we don't have to eliminate it and avoid it. We don't have to use massively high doses. Let's just use a nice therapeutic middle of the road dose for support. And everybody is unique and everybody's individual. So it does help to be working with a practitioner that can help you titrate up and titrate down. But if we just find that middle ground. Now, when you're talking about testing, I'm still diving into this because again, you will find a different opinion on how to test iodine for absolutely everyone. And I was interviewing Barton Scott on my podcast, and we were talking about the hair mineral analysis, and we we're talking about iodine. And it's funny, sometimes when you interview a guest, they say something that clicks and you go, that's it. That's the point I'm standing on. He goes, you know, he just says it just nonchalant. He's like, well, every cell in your body needs iodine and there's no definitive test. So we don't even include iodine on our test because how about you just take it because you need it. I was like, oh, I like that. I mean, you can get into testing. Do you provocate with a high dose and then catch urine for 24 hours? Do you go by blood? Do you go by hair? I mean, there's so many different testing methods out there for iodine. No one can decide which one is right. So how about you just find that middle ground 
and take it because you need it and it's going to help you. Don't take too high. Don't avoid it completely. Just find that middle ground. It's interesting how much things have changed as it pertains to iodine, because when I you know, started several years ago, kind of in the functional space, we were using the Hakala. So urinary testing appeared to be accessible and reasonable. And then we were all paranoid about repleting with iodine. So we would do like Lugol's or we would tell people to go eat a bunch of seaweed. And then after Fukushima, we're like, you have to source it from, you know, a (laughs) non-radiated type of seaweed. And so that became a sourcing issue. And so, you know, to me, it makes sense that probably in our modern day lives that we do need some repletion. The question is how much? And so that's always the, the question that I have. So I appreciate that you talked about that so thoughtfully. And, you know, it's interesting to me how, you know, not just iodine, but also things like low-dose naltrexone have become more popular. I'm seeing a lot of patients, not patients that I'm prescribing this for, but people I work with that I share patients with that are going on LDN Mm -hmm. and finding that this is like the thing that is reducing inflammation and reducing it, not just systemically, but at the cellular level and allowing them to have improvement in insulin resistance and stimulating their pituitary and their growth hormone. And so all these amazing things. Mm -hmm. And when I dove down the rabbit hole preparing for this, I was like, because I don't prescribe this medication, I understand fundamentally how it works, but I wanted to make sure we could have a fruitful discussion. What are your thoughts on LDN? I love LDN for most people. (laughs) So just like you said, low dose naltrexone, and we're talking a very low dose. So if we're looking at naltrexone, that's usually in the milligram range of 50 to hundred. It's used for alcoholism, opioid addiction. That's high dose, that regular to high dose naltrexone. Low dose naltrexone is in the 1.5 to four milligram range. So we use a very low dose. It's by usually compounded by your compounding pharmacy. And we start off very slowly. We'll start with 1.5. We'll titrate up over the course of a few weeks to a month until we hit that four milligram dose. And it has been shown to lower antibodies in any and all autoimmune conditions. So I was actually speaking to a dear friend of mine that has MS and is in a wheelchair and he was doing research into vitamin C drips. And I said, talk to your doctor about LDN because MS is autoimmune. It works on all autoimmune conditions to lower that antibody attack. It lowers inflammation of any kind it definitely improves insulin sensitivity. And that's one big thing that when we use LDN with Hashimoto patients, they get a double bang for their buck because we're lowering their antibodies. And like I said earlier, 99% of Hashi patients, hypothyroid patients have insulin resistance. So now we're improving their insulin response. We're improving that insulin sensitivity. In addition, of course, changing diet and using other supplements to help that along, but LDN does work with insulin resistance. So a lot of patients that will start that will report that they lost a couple pounds. Well, yeah, you're reducing inflammation systemically full body, and you're improving your insulin sensitivity. Now the population, why I said most people, there is a small part of the population that will be affected mood wise by LDN. And they'll kind of develop almost like a flat affect kind of like a antidepressants take away your feelings. That's what LDN does in, in a small subset of the population. I'm very much an advocate, like I said earlier, of finding a practitioner to work with. If you have a thyroid problem, if you have dysregulated hormones, if you have both, if you're not sure yet, find one that specializes in thyroid and hormones. Because what I see sometimes 
is that because that particular practitioner tried LDN on themselves or one patient and they had that experience of a flat affect, they won't prescribe it to anybody. It has so much potential. It can help so many people. And guess what? If you have that experience, you stop it. Low to no side effects, low to no side effects whatsoever. It's one of those kind of like, why don't we just try it? See how the patient responds. If it helps, awesome. If they get a little bit wonky on it, we stop it. It's that easy. And then it's in and out of your system. So I love it. I love it for Hashimoto's. I love it for insulin resistance. I love it for inflammation, high HSCRP. It just does so many different things that it benefits the body. Well, I feel like it's talked about, but probably not proactively enough because I have seen clients that are concurrently working with someone that prescribes it or friends that have gone on it, that it's been life-changing for them. So if you've got Hashimoto's and you've got insulin resistance and you're really struggling, this is definitely a medication that you want to have a discussion with your healthcare professional about. Mm -hmm. You probably need to work with someone that's functionally or integrative medicine focused. Obviously we'll put links to IFM. That's usually my go-to if I don't know someone personally. And if someone's not in a state where I have friends that practice and I know, you know, are leaning into these things. The only other thing I wanted to talk about, and again, it kind of ties into this insulin resistance piece. You know, there's a lot of good research that berberine is as efficacious as metformin or glucophage. And so, you know, there's a lot of women who, you know, are insulin resistant, you know, especially as we're heading into perimenopause and menopause. And, you know, we struggle with carbohydrates, the right types of carbohydrates, how much sleep, et cetera, are using a lot of berberine with your patients. And if so, how much are you starting with? Because the interesting thing about berberine is it's not just an insulin sensitizer. It also is an antimicrobial. So sometimes people will say, you know, I took berberine and then I started having, you know, diarrhea or loose stools. And so a little bit dosage related, there are many ways we can use berberine with patients and with symptoms. But as an aside, it's also a potent antimicrobial. I've actually had women using berberine for insulin resistance or concerns about that who end up getting night sweats because their blood sugar is dropping so precipitously, it's actually waking them up. And we've been able to capture the data because they've got a continuous glucose monitor. But I'm curious, are you using much berberine? Do you like it? Love, 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 love berberine. I love it. I have been using it for many years, many years. The therapeutic dose is 1200 milligrams per day. So whatever company you're using, um, I actually have a berberine supplement coming out where I increase the dose to 600 per capsule, because sometimes it's really hard. Most companies have 400 milligrams. So a person has to take it three times a day to get to that therapeutic dose where it actually does start impacting the insulin regulation, blood sugar regulation, but it's really, it's so much easier to just take it twice a day with your main meal. So if you are intermittent fasting, take it with lunch and dinner and that's it. You don't want to take it on an empty stomach because that is where you get a little bit of GI distress. Mm -hmm. And yes, very similar to metformin. There are so many studies on berberine, so many, all positive, amazing, similar to metformin. It can produce a little bit of a laxative effect, but that's also telling us berberine is used as part of a gut healing protocol. So that's kind of telling us that your GI tract needs a little bit of love. And while we might back off the dose of berberine until someone gets used to it and their bowel movements kind of balance out and they're not having the loose stool anymore, and then we'll increase the dose again. 
even though that's happening, it's not necessarily something to panic about unless it goes on for weeks and weeks on end. And then, okay, we might have maybe berberine just isn't for you, but I very rarely see that. Most of my patient population can start it, titrate up, get to that therapeutic dose and their bowel movements balance out. And in the hypothyroid community, Hashimoto community, most of them are constipated. So they're like, <laughs> bring on the berberine because I want to go to the bathroom every single day. I absolutely love it. And like you said, it's, it's antimicrobial, it's antibacterial, it's a potent antioxidant. I absolutely love it. And I actually have a, a case study out. Now this is not with a Hashimoto patient. So I'm kind of diverting a little bit, but it's, it's pretty powerful. I have a case study that I wrote with a colleague of mine that was published. And it was one of my patients that came to me as an insulin dependent diabetic. He checked himself into the hospital. He knew the signs and symptoms of high blood sugar. His blood sugar was 600. His A1C was 13.9. They put him on insulin. He left. He called me. He's like, no, I'm not doing insulin the rest of my life. We have to do something about this. I'm like, okay, well, give me time. Give me time. I never thought it would be this quick. I said, give me time and we'll do this. We changed his diet, started intermittent fasting. He was already on metformin, incorporated berberine because there's a lot of studies that show that metformin and berberine work together very, very well. In six weeks, he was off of his insulin. His A1C dropped to 8.4. Doctors were happy enough to take him off the insulin. His blood sugars went from 600. They were still on like the 300s. Six months, reversed his diabetes. A1C down to 5.4. Blood sugars at 80, 90, 120, 130. That's it. I mean, amazing effect. Amazing effect. So yes, I very much love berberine. How about chromium GTF? You know, I'll throw that in. There's not enough hardcore evidence and I want to say enough power behind chromium for me to say, use this on a regular basis. I would pick berberine all day long. So in the interest of maybe saving money, but if it's already in your berberine supplement, Hey, bonus, that's fine. How about inositol? Another one that I will stack with berberine for patients that are really kind of moving out of the insulin resistance space and are already stepping their feet into full-blown type two diabetes. So then I'll stack inositol with berberine again for that kind of one-two punch on the blood sugar and, and insulin control. Now it makes sense. I've been using a lot of inositol at night with patients, just mm -hmm. seeing improvement in overnight blood sugars, because I think one of the blessings slash curses of a continuous glucose monitor is that then people are constantly looking at data and some people are interested in their data and they don't perseverate over it. And some people are interested in their data and then they become obsessive about it. And so inositol has been, I think inositol to me has been more efficacious than chromium GTF. I feel like chromium GTF is kind of like regular gas. Like if you want to step it up, there's the berberine. I think inositol can be a nice accompaniment, but I'm seeing good use of inositol before bed to help a little bit with sleep, help with blood sugars. That's where I've seen it to be most helpful. I like that. Yeah. I like that stack. That's yeah. perfect. Well, Amy, I want you to let my listeners know how to connect with you, how to connect to your great podcast, which I've been, you know, I've had the great fortune of being a guest on. How can they hear more about your programs and learn more about you? Absolutely. So my podcast is the Thyroid Fixer podcast. It's on all podcast platforms. So wherever you listen, you can find me there. 
And you can go to my website at dramyhorneman.com. And if you are interested in learning more about working together, you can book a free assessment call so we can go over everything with you and see if you are fit. And if we're the right fit for you to help you out with your thyroid and hormone problems. And then of course, on all social media platforms, Instagram, Dr. Amy Horneman, same with YouTube, Facebook, you can find me everywhere. So I look forward to connecting to your audience. Awesome. This has been a great conversation. We'll look forward to having you back. Thanks, Cynthia. If you love this podcast episode, please leave a rating and review, subscribe and tell a friend. Just as you carefully choose the cut of meat or freshness of produce that you cook at home, you should carefully choose chemical-free cookware that provides a healthy and safe cooking experience. The materials in 360 cookware are safe, sustainable, and of the highest quality. Their cookware is 100% free from any toxic chemicals as the company produces quality stainless steel cookware and bakeware without added chemicals, and all are manufactured in the United States. It's also the leading manufacturer that equips kitchens with cookware and bakeware that are free of all of the toxic chemicals and coatings, including PFAS, Teflon, and ceramic. And the best thing is that when used properly, the product's construction provides nonstick properties in a product that can be passed down through generations. Go to www.360cookware.com and use code CYNTHIA20 for 20% off your first order. Again, that's 360cookware.com and use code CYNTHIA20 for 20% off your first order. We've been using their products over the last several months and have really been pleased with not only the durability, but ease of cleanliness.